excited to be able to do this. I will say, just to preface this, of course, of all weeks, this is the week I got sick. So if I make any really nasty throat clearing sounds, forgive me. Uh, this morning, if it is your first week here, or if you're visiting for the first time in a while maybe, uh, you came on a great week because we're starting in a new series in the book of Psalms. Two weeks ago, Pastor Pete finished up our series in the book of James, and then last week, Pastor Derek preached, and so this week we're starting a new series for the summer in the book of Psalms. We're going to be starting with Psalm 120 today, so let's turn there to Psalm 120. It's on page 516 in those blue pew Bibles, if you want to follow along, or I believe it'll also be on the screen. So I'm going to read that for us now. Psalm 120, a song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So that's Psalm 120. And Psalm 120 that we're going to be studying today is the beginning of a subsection within the book of Psalms. Uh, and if you look after Psalm 120, Every psalm, all the way through Psalm 134, has that heading, A Song of Ascents. And so this might be a real shocker. It's already on the screen, so you got the spoiler. This group is called the Psalms of Ascent. And this group of psalms was not all written by the same author. They were not all written at the same time or in the same place. And so in that sense, they're kind of an odd collection to have all together as one group. But these psalms all share a unified purpose, a unified theme, that comes about later in their history. You see, the ancient Israelites who first sang these psalms had three religious festivals every year. And so every year, three times a year, thousands upon thousands of Israelites would travel to Jerusalem, to the capital city of ancient Israel, to celebrate these religious festivals. And these were the psalms that they would sing on the way to Jerusalem, these 15 psalms of ascent. And Interestingly, Jerusalem is actually geographically raised up above everything around it. So as they sang these psalms, they were literally ascending up to Jerusalem, hence the name Psalms of Ascent. But they also were spiritually ascending. It wasn't just a physical ascent because Jerusalem was the religious center, the spiritual center of the world for these ancient Jews. It was where the temple was. It was where the priests would make sacrifices to God, and in a very real sense for them, it was where God's presence was on this earth. It was the focal point of God's presence among his people. So as they ascended to Jerusalem, they were ascending into the very presence of God. And this was a difficult journey, too. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like pack the kids in the minivan and go on a two-day road trip, although I know parents out there would probably tell me that's challenging, I'm sure. But it wasn't what we think of as travel today. A pilgrimage to Jerusalem was a serious undertaking. It was days of walking through desert heat and on roads that were not patrolled by state troopers. They were at constant risk of being assaulted by bandits or murderers or worse. So this journey to Jerusalem wasn't just an easy undertaking. It was a serious 
ordeal that they went through to go into the very presence of God. And so these Psalms of Ascent are songs for a pilgrimage to God. They are songs for a journey to God. So now as we look at Psalm 120 today, you might wonder what the relevance is for Christians today. By a show of hands, is anyone here planning on making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in the next, like, few months? No, okay, no one. It's a little disappointing. Uh, I was hoping maybe someone would raise their hand. Yeah, but we don't make physical pilgrimages to God's presence anymore. As Christians today, we know that God's presence isn't only centrally located in one place any longer. God's presence is among all his people. But the Christian life is a journey to God, and Christians are referred to in the New Testament as pilgrims. In the book of 1 Peter, Christians are called exiles and sojourners. As Christians, our home is not in this world, ultimately. Our home is in the presence of God, our true Father. And so as we live this life, we are on a journey further and further into the presence of God until the day when we are fully with Him. And so we too are pilgrims who can look at these songs and can use them on our journey closer to God. And so I want to look at this first psalm with you today, these songs for going to God, but to borrow a quote from a pastor named Ryan Kelly, Psalm 120 doesn't go. Psalm 120 is the preface. It's the reason for going. And so we're going to look at the reason why we go on a pilgrimage to God today in Psalm 120. So Psalm 120 breaks down into three easy sections. If you look in your Bible, you might see the little section breaks, the three stanzas. It's a poem. And so in the first section, verses 1 and 2, it begins with a cry for deliverance. Our psalmist says, In my distress I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. That word distress there doesn't just mean mild discomfort or stress. It has this idea of being boxed in, of being squeezed so tight, of being unable to escape, of being totally overwhelmed. That's what our psalmist is feeling as he's crying out to God. He is totally overwhelmed by lying lips and a deceitful tongue. In our series in James that Pastor Pete just wrapped up for us, we heard about the power of the tongue, right? You might remember that, especially in James chapter 3. It talks about how the tongue is like a small fire that sets whole forests ablaze, or how the tongue is like a rudder that steers massive ships. The tongue is a powerful thing, and so our author here, our psalmist, has been taken down by lies or deceit. Has anyone ever here ever been lied about? Have you ever been lied about or misrepresented in any way? I bet you there's more people than are raising their hands. I bet most of us have been lied about or misrepresented in some way, maybe trivial, maybe serious, and I hope that for most of us, it never has been and never will be a serious thing, but lies and false accusations can destroy someone's reputation, can destroy someone's career, someone's livelihood, someone's relationships, can't they? Lies are powerful things, and so our psalmist here has been trapped. He's boxed in. He's in distress, and maybe for you, You've felt that feeling, but with something different. Maybe you haven't had your livelihood or your reputation destroyed by lies, but maybe it's something else. I can give examples of things that distress me greatly, that make me feel so overwhelmed, so powerless, so unable to do anything. I think many of us feel that way when we look at just some of the major political and social situations of the world, the the division our country faces across political lines that seems to get more and more just hateful every single day, the, 
social ills in our country, poverty, injustice, you can name them. We all know them. But there are so many things in this world that leave us feeling overwhelmed. Maybe for you it's piles of bills that stuck up. You don't know how you're going to pay rent, let alone car insurance, health insurance, life insurance, electric, whatever else you have to pay. Maybe it's broken relationships with other people that stress you out and make you feel overwhelmed. Maybe it's the constant load of work. We all get into these situations where we feel completely boxed in, don't we? We all get into these situations where we just don't know what to do, where we feel hemmed in and powerless. So think about what the most overwhelming situation you've ever faced is. Just think about that. That's what our psalmist is facing as he writes this poem. He is totally at a loss. And we see a glimmer of hope in verse 1. He says, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And it seems like, oh, the psalm's going to take a turn right away for the better. God answered him, but then he's asking for deliverance. So somehow he has this confident hope that God has heard him, and yet he is not out of his suffering. He is still in the midst of it. And so he continues on in verse 3 and 4, crying out in his anguish. He says, what shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. We have to be careful with those two verses. These can be taken in some very bad ways. This isn't a call for personal revenge. We see that the psalmist has given his struggle over to God, and at the end of the psalm, we see that he is for peace. So he's not calling for personal revenge, and this isn't simply a set of verses saying that God's going to destroy your enemies as long as you follow him. It's not teaching that, oh, if you're a Christian, you know, God's just going to take care of everything for you right away. That's, that's not how it works. But what we do see here is the psalmist expressing his anguish and longing for God's justice that will eventually clear his name. He's longing for the day that he will be vindicated before others, that their sharp arrows, their lies will fall back on their own head and his name will be restored. And we all long for that restoration in whatever situation you may have thought of, as I was talking earlier, when we're talking about what distresses us, what boxes us in, we all long for that restoration. I think we can all relate to that feeling. And, and as he's crying out, we come to the climax of his cry in verses 5 and 7. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Our psalmist is desperate for peace. Ultimately, that's what he wants. He just wants things to stop. He just wants to be able to sit and not feel so overwhelmed for a minute. One thing I've learned about the East Coast, this area, I moved out here from New Mexico, which is pretty laid back, pretty relaxed. It is hard to find peace out here. It is, it's nonstop, and that's, that's kind of funny, but it's kind of serious, too. Like, it is hard to find peace out here. It is go, go, go. It is business all the time. People commute, like, an hour and a half, two hours a day, go to work, commute back, and then it's like nine o'clock, you're done for the day. There's no peace. There's no rest. And our world at large seems to be largely without peace, not just absence of conflict, but the word peace here, the word that the psalmist uses for peace is this Hebrew word shalom, which has this idea of total wellness, total wholeness. 
this tranquil perfection. It's not just absence of conflict. Our psalmist is longing for this whole tranquil perfection. It's what the New Testament might call peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what he's longing for. And that's what our world is longing for. That's what we long for. That's what I know I long for is just peace that surpasses all understanding. I look forward to the day that I'm not stressed about something, that there isn't some horrible thing going on in the world. And so this is how Psalm 120 sets up the journey to God. It's a longing for peace. It's deep distress. It's a desperate cry to God for help. That's what begins this journey. And so how does this psalm speak to us today as modern people, as many of us Christians, maybe some not Christians in the modern world, how do we take this psalm and apply it, this ancient Israelite poem, and apply it to our lives? Well, it seems that the most obvious thing that we learn from this psalm at the beginning of this collection of pilgrim songs is that going to God, a pilgrimage to God, begins not in comfort but in distress. Our journey to God won't ever begin from a place of comfort and ease. I mean, think about the ancient Israelites once again as they journeyed to Jerusalem. This was not an easy journey to God's presence in their holy city, right? I mean, they traveled for days in the desert. They were constantly at risk of being robbed or even killed. They didn't just go because they needed a small positive influence or like a little moral boost, it wasn't a slight help for them. They went because they knew that God's presence was what sustained them in the hardship of everyday life. And in the same way today, we won't make a pilgrimage to God spiritually if we just want a little positivity or a little good moral influence. We won't make the pilgrimage to God if we think that overall things are going okay. You know, we just need few political maneuvers, few social improvements. Humanity is doing all right. That won't get you to God. At the first sign of hardship, you'll turn around. The only way that we will begin a true pilgrimage to God is when we look around the world and realize what a horrible situation we're in, when we feel that deep distress, that feeling of being boxed in and overwhelmed, and we realize that nothing in this world can soothe it. We realize that only God has the answer. That's the only way you're going to be a pilgrim to God. So look around the world. Think. What distresses you? What makes you feel overwhelmed? Do you have something? Is there a deep distress in you that nothing in the world can soothe? Because that's when you're ready to make a journey to God, to be a pilgrim. And that brings us to the first real call of this psalm, which is that when you are in that distress, when you find that thing that overwhelms you, to cry to the Lord. And that might seem obvious, like obviously that's the Bible answer, look to God. But that is the clear first call of our psalm because we turn to so many other things. Even as Christians, some of us might turn to mindless entertainment like Netflix. It is super easy to get lost in Netflix for like six hours and just lose a day. It is. And, and it's a great way to numb your mind and distract yourself from whatever's stressing you out, from whatever's going on in the world. Or maybe for others it's substances like alcohol, drugs. Maybe it's sexual gratification that you turn to to distract you from the stress and the overwhelming things that are going on in the world. Maybe it's even things that seem positive, like self-improvement, like exercise, like being a good person. 
Even things like that can be a substitute for God when we're trying to escape our distress. But the call of this psalm is to turn to God and God alone. At our distress, we must call to the Lord. And if we want that assurance, if we want the assurance that the psalmist has that he has answered us, we have it because God has given us an answer to all the suffering and all the pain in the world, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is God's final answer to all the distress that we feel. And just like the psalmist, accepting Christ doesn't mean that we're out of all of our suffering right away, but it does mean that we can have a confident hope that God has provided an answer, that God has heard us. When we accept Christ, when we turn to Christ as our comfort, as our answer from God in the midst of our distress, we have a hope that one day there won't be people driven from their homes into refugee camps by vicious militants. We have a confident hope that one day there won't be bills piling up higher and higher. We have a confident hope that there won't be bigotry and hatred in this world one day. When we turn to Christ, we have God's final answer, and the New Testament even says of Christ that he is our peace. There's a clear call in this psalm for us today to turn to Jesus when we feel that distress, to look to him, to cling at his feet, at the foot of the cross, and say, Lord, I need you. That is the first call of the psalm, and it's so clear. Jesus is the only answer to lasting peace, and he is our confident hope. But unfortunately, just like the psalmist in Psalm 120, even though we have a final answer from the Lord, we are still in the midst of suffering, aren't we? As Christians, we acknowledge God's given us our final answer, but there's still hardship. We still walk outside and see homeless people right out there on 355. We still turn on the news and hear stories of escalating tensions between nations and violence all around the country. We're still in the midst of our distress in so many ways. And so we can't, as Christians, just accept Jesus sit on our hands and call it good. We can't just stop there. We have to continue to move closer to God because we realize that God's presence is the only place where we will find true peace. I mean, think of human history. Where in human history has there been more true peace than when Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden with God? That's the one time that there was true shalom in all the history of mankind and so we know that God's presence is where we will find that true, lasting peace. And so we are on a journey closer to him. Even as we know one day we'll be with him fully, now we seek to move closer and closer as we wait. And so we are pilgrims. We truly are pilgrims just as the Israelites were as they moved to Jerusalem. And so how do we? That's the final question of the psalm. How do we make this journey to God? What do we do? It isn't simply by self-improvement, by being a better person. That's not what a journey to God looks like. It helps a little bit at this time to look at the context of Psalm 120. We referenced Psalm 119 in our call to worship, and one commentator noted that Psalm 119 is in many ways a layout of how to be a pilgrim. And Psalm 119 talks a lot about God's Word. Who here has like, heard when someone's trying to explain the Bible to you who's had Psalm 119 referenced? Maybe a little bit? Anyone? probably. Psalm 119 is referenced a lot, but the weird thing is most of us haven't read the whole thing. Many Christians have not read all of Psalm 119, and that's because it's pretty long. So Psalm 120 is seven verses. Psalm 119 is 176 verses. A bit longer. It's longer than some books in the New Testament. 
But it's this beautiful love song about God's Word, about how God's Word brings life and peace and joy. And the psalmist in Psalm 119 is seeking deliverance as well. He's crying out to God for peace and for deliverance, and he asks for God to give it to him through his Word. And so we learn in Psalm 119 that peace, that our journey into God's presence to bring peace comes by God's Word. And so what do I mean when I say God's Word here? A lot of times we talk about the Bible as God's Word, and that is true. The Bible is God's written Word, but that idea means more than just the Bible. God's Word is how He reveals Himself to us. And the Bible is certainly God revealing Himself to us, but the Bible itself points to a higher revelation of God. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us by our fathers, the prophets. Spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus. Jesus is God's true word. If you've read the beginning of the Gospel of John, you've seen that beautiful prologue about in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God's Word. He is the ultimate way that God reveals Himself to us. So when we're looking at what is the ultimate means of bringing us into God's presence, it's Jesus Himself. Jesus is, as we said in our call to worship, the lamp that lights the path for us as we journey to God. Jesus is the hope that sustains us as we journey to God, and He is the joy that we have as we make that pilgrimage Too often we treat Christianity as a one-and-done thing. We're like, okay, I'll accept Jesus, go to church sometimes, make sure we're, like, doing okay, and then, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll be great. But the truth is that Christianity isn't a one-and-done deal. It's a journey. It's a pilgrimage into God's presence. It's treasuring Jesus in all of life as we seek to get closer and closer to God. Jesus isn't just the way we start a relationship with God. He's the way we move closer to God. He is the means by which we make the journey into God's presence. True shalom, true lasting peace comes from treasuring, seeking, loving, and following Jesus Christ in all things. We have to hold him as more precious than anything we come across, more precious than our Netflix, more precious than our substances or our sexual relationships or our exercise or our nutrition or our moral health, whatever else you have in your life, Jesus is more precious, and he's the only way to lasting peace. Nothing else is going to get you into the presence of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and that word is Jesus Christ. He is our life. And so may our attitude be that of Psalm 119. In verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in verse 107, it says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. May we not seek life anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. The life of a Christian is someone who desperately longs for peace, who feels the brokenness of this world and seeks restoration by treasuring Jesus and following him in all things and by journeying to God's presence through Jesus Christ. And the good news Today is that we have the opportunity to begin practicing that. Practicing, hard word. Uh, Right now, we're going to take communion in just a moment. And in communion, Jesus is present with his people in a very special way. 
as we take of the body and blood of Christ, he is present with us in a very unique way, in a very awesome way. We are united with him by the Holy Spirit. And so we have the opportunity as we take communion to reflect on what he's done for us in the forgiveness of our sins and to begin reflecting on treasuring him as we go throughout the rest of our week. Don't take communion lightly. It's easy to just sit there and kind of look at the bread and be like, oh, is it time yet? No. Oh, is it time yet? No. It's easy to do that. I've been guilty of that, but we shouldn't take communion lightly. We should treasure it, relish in it, enjoy it as we are united with Christ. So I'm going to pray for us, and then let's take communion together as a family. Father, it is such a blessing to be here together today with brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that as we go throughout this week, we would, each of us, remember that we are on a journey closer to you. I pray that throughout this series in the Psalms of Ascent, that we would learn about what it means to be on a journey closer to you, and I pray that on this journey, we would rely on nothing but Jesus Christ to bring us into your peace-giving presence, God. I pray that we would treasure, follow, seek, and love Jesus in all things. Thank you for this opportunity to study under your word together as a family, and this opportunity to be united with Christ through communion. It's in his name we pray. Amen.